Jesus said to the disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And for this reason, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Back in 2017, which I think was about 30 years ago at this point, while I was serving at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church just outside of Philadelphia, I preached one of my favorite sermon series. It was called Bad Church Sayings. And every Sunday during Lent, we looked at another bad church saying. You know, the kind of things we say at church all the time without thinking about it very much. Things like, God helps those who help themselves. You know, things that sound biblical and true, but that aren't what the Bible actually says things that seem helpful, even if they don't really help at all. It's all part of God's plan. God won't give you more than you can handle. Everything happens for a reason. Blah. (laughs) Maybe you've said some of these things, and if so, I'm not picking on you. I've said all of them myself at some point, because they're easy and they're simple. And we all tend to reach for things that are easy and simple, things that feel familiar whenever someone is hurting or when we are hurting or the world seems out of control and we're searching for answers. Sometimes, especially when life is hard, we don't know what to say. And so we hold on to these little sayings, often without stopping to think about what they actually mean. Our reading from Romans this morning sounds a lot like a bad church saying. Not only that, Paul writes, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. It is easy to start with these words and arrive at some twisted ways of thinking about God and about others and about ourselves. It's easy to get from these words to saying, suffering is part of God's plan. But that's not true. We know it's not true. God never wants people to suffer. God wants people to experience abundance and goodness in life. How could we trust a God who wants us to suffer, who wields suffering like a tool or or worse, a weapon? Such a God could, could hardly be called loving and good. It's also easy to get from Paul's words to saying, well, suffering is a good thing. After all, it produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
But suffering is not something to be glorified. It's not desirable or meant to be pursued. Suffering is not something that we should wish on anyone and not something that should be romanticized or justified. And it is definitely easy to get from Paul's words about suffering to a place where we tell people that they should simply endure bad situations or stay in relationships of abuse or harm or ignore injustice or not seek professional help to deal with the suffering they experience rather than encouraging them to care about their own well-being and remember their value as children of God. What I'm saying is that these verses are tricky. They're hard to understand, easy to misuse. They are definitely capable of creating multiple bad church saying variants eh? that we don't want to infect us and that we certainly don't want to help spread. When Paul wrote these words about suffering, it was during a time when Jews and Christians were being expelled from the city of Rome by the emperor Claudius. If John Neiman were here, he would have just nodded and said, I already knew that. They were cast out, and their communities and families were were torn apart. And from the beginning of time, humans have believed that when we experience suffering in life, it must be a sign of God's anger or displeasure. Think about the story of Job, who lost everything, and whose friends said to him, yeah, but you must have done something to deserve it. We think this way because it helps us to make sense of the world. We want to believe that good things happen to good people, and bad things only happen to bad people because that gives us a sense of control. But really, it just encourages us to make assumptions about other people's character, other people's moral shortcomings, to cast judgments about their value and worth as human beings. Part of the reason Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome was to let them know that what they were experiencing, the ways they were suffering, were not a sign they had done something wrong or that God was angry, or that God had abandoned them. He reassured them over and over that God loved them, that God's love is unconditional, and that through Jesus we have received God's eternal promise and forgiveness and favor. And that is such a good thing to hear to be reminded of when we are suffering and going through bad times. But then Paul took it a step further. Paul always takes it a step further. In these verses, he said that suffering, the suffering they were experiencing, could even be used for good. See, I don't want to romanticize pain or suffering or justify them as if they're good in and of themselves. But I also don't want to dismiss our time of suffering 
as places that are devoid of God or without value. God can use the suffering we endure, the bad situations we journey through, the trials we experience. They are places where faith can flourish and trust and God can grow. I mean, we know what makes the best fertilizer, right? Well, those same periods in our lives are opportunities to rely on and build faith in God. Beautiful things can blossom. Incredible growth can be experienced. Seeds that hold future promise can be planted during times of difficulty and struggle. Such times teach us how to endure. They can shape and build our character. They can strengthen our faith. I wonder, what would it mean if we understood times of suffering as spiritual opportunities not to be wasted? How would that change our lives and our faith? Now, as I told our kids earlier, today is Holy Trinity Sunday, and to be honest, this is my least favorite Sunday of the whole church year. It's not based on a great story like Easter or Pentecost, or even on a parable like Good Shepherd Sunday. No, no, it's based on a theological doctrine that was formed centuries after Jesus walked the earth and only after intense and sometimes ridiculous and tedious and mind-numbing arguments. And I say that as someone who is a pretty big nerd in general and especially when it comes to church. The idea of God as Trinity is hard to understand in fact, I think it's something we can really only experience. We can experience God as, as heavenly parents, as merciful savior, as guiding spirit. And I think that can be enough, that we can just live with some mystery and find freedom and not fully understanding God and not having all the answers. But on this Trinity Sunday, when we're baptizing three kids, by the way, Here's what I'm reminded of. God existing as a trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at once points to the fact that God is inherently relational, that God is by nature communal. And since we're made in God's image, we are too. We might like to think we're lone rangers. Our society may teach us to be islands of independence. People who shaped us, perhaps even our parents, may have told us that relying on others is a form of weakness, that being vulnerable is cause for embarrassment, that even acknowledging our emotions and struggles should make us feel shame. But these things are not true. They are a lie. We were made to be in community with other people. We were created to live in real, genuine, 
mutual relationships of love and care. God intends for our lives to include these things. Life is better when it includes these things. And that is definitely true when it comes to times of suffering and trial. Look, I know all that stuff I said about how times of suffering brings opportunities we shouldn't waste, opportunities for us to rely on God. I know that that all sounds great, but that it's also really hard. I mean, did you see the words Paul wrote? Come on, man, boast in our suffering. Take joy in our trials. It is only on my very best days that I stop whining about the difficulties in my life long enough to think about how God might use them and how I might grow from them. And I have had like a handful of very best days at most. Most of us are still trying to get to where Paul talks about, aren't we? We're praying for God to help us grow into the kinds of people who see suffering in the way Paul did. But here is one thing that I know. It's easier to get through times of struggle, suffering, and trial together. Together, we can help each other endure the hard times. We can help each other develop character. We can help each other hold on to hope and trust in faith. That's one of the gifts that comes from being part of this fully human and yet also divinely wonderful community that we call the church. This is a place where we can really live together. We can reject that junk our culture teaches us and open up to one another Be honest and vulnerable with confidence, knowing that we will receive back love and encouragement, care and support. And this morning we rejoice, not just because we get to experience this, but also because three young people are about to be baptized and welcomed into the church. Here in this water, God will claim each of them just as God claims all of us when we're baptized. And that relationship will help to sustain them through all of life's difficulties. We will welcome them into our community of faith and surround them with our love and give thanks that we get to be God's people together. So may we remember that in times of trial and in times of difficulty and cling to our hope in Christ. It will not disappoint us. And that is a church saying we can call good. Amen.